Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 340 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing this week, my man? I'm doing good, my man. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. I'm going to dive straight into the review part of the show. As always, if you haven't listened before, it's pretty much broken up into two parts. We've got part one, which we review the fights from last week, and then we bring in our special guest right in the middle. And then part two consists of the preview part and the news part of the show. So the preview in, of course, is when we're discussing the upcoming fights this weekend. Um, anyway, let's start with the review part of the show. We're going to start here Friday the 15th of April at York Hall, Bethnal Green, friend of the show, uh, friend of the show, Sam Gilly with a win. He's now 14 and one, a TKO in round nine in, I think, one of the fights of the year, really, against Drew Brown. Uh, Drew Brown was 12 and 0 undefeated. He loses his O. He's now 12 and one. It was a defense there of Gilly's English super welterweight title. Also on the card, Gavin Gwynn with a win. He's now 15 and two, a unanimous decision over 12 against Luke Willis, who was also undefeated. He's now 11 and one though. It was for the Commonwealth and vacant uh, British light heavyweight title. Um, on the undercard, a little shout-out to Nina Hughes, who knocked out in two rounds Beck Connolly, so she's now 2-0, and and also Pierce O'Leary, who's now 9-0, and a knockout in the first round there against Nathan Augustine, uh, it was a left hook, and Sultan Zorbeck with a win as well, he's now 13-0, and a KO in round 5 against Nicolas Batelli, who's now 11-7. and Moving out now to Belgium at the Hall Omnisport de la Praelle. Uh, probably completely saying it wrong. I'm fine with that. Uh, the main event, Francesco Patera, now 26-3. and three, A majority decision over 10 rounds against Spain's Samuel Molina, who's now 19-2. and two. It was for the vacant WBO Global Lightweight title. I did say Samuel Molina kind of needed a win here because it was, um, you know, it was a setback for him to get, I think, knocked out. I think it was last year. Went back to Spain, racked up two wins. He was on the road here in Belgium. But, like I say, I'm Majority decision, 95-95 on one card, 96-94 on the other. Not sure what the other card was, but a very, very close fight. Perhaps they, they jobbed him on the cards. I don't know. I didn't see the fight. Moving out now to the Manchester Arena. This one was on the zone. Um, let's get to it. Let's start with the undercard. Firstly, we're going to start here with Campbell Hatton. He picked up a points win over six rounds against Ezekiel Gregores, who I think was a late replacement. He's now 3-10. and 10. Campbell Hatton 7-0. and 0. Um, 
We had Jack Cullum with a points win over eight against Vladimir Bajewski, who's now 12-4 and four with a draw. Jack Cullum, 21-3 and three with a draw. He won every round there on Steve Gray's scorecard. Jordan Thompson, the cruiserweight, uh, he's now 13-0, and 0, a TKO in the second round against Mariano Angel Gudino, who's now 14-6. and six. Gudino down from a right uppercut prior to the stoppage. I think Jordan Thompson, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he may have been with, it might have been Frank Warren, then he left him, he's got with Eddie Hearn. But he's had quite a slow career. I think he took a, a quite a long layoff, and he's come back. He's been knocking people out, and he's an exciting addition to the cruiserweight mix here in Britain. And I want to see if he can do what he's been doing to these opponents at the slightly higher level. So very excited to see his career uh, pan out in the you know in the in the near future. Also on the card, Alicia Baumgardner. Uh, she's now 12 and one, a unanimous decision over 10 two-minute rounds against Edith Matisse, the sister of Lucas Matisse. She's now 17 and 12 with a draw. Um, a lot of people felt that Baumgardner would knock her out simply because she knocked out Terry Harper in brutal fashion. But Edith Matisse, the Argentinian female, um, obviously fighting in the blood, she, uh, you know, she has always been very tough. Never had been stopped, and I um, managed to pick up a little bit of winnings on that one uh, it was for the WBC and IBO world female super featherweight titles Matisse actually failed to make weight so the belt's only on the line for Baumgardner I think Matisse ended up coming in over three pounds uh, over the weight um over the weight limit, and also at Cruiserweight, the rematch between Chris Billum-Smith and Tommy McCarthy ended with a KO in round 8 for Chris Billum-Smith, he's now 15-1, and one. Tommy McCarthy now 18-4, and four. it was for the EBU European and Cruiserweight uh, Commonwealth titles, um, McCarthy, it was a, I think it was a right hand that, that, that took him out, I can't even remember the shot now to be honest with you, but good to see the rematch actually take place, because the first one was really close, it went the distance, we don't always get rematches, especially when like, you know, one of them wants to move on, but Chris Billum Smith, known as the gentleman, did the gentleman thing to do, which was perhaps give the man a rematch. And he did it, and he knocked him out this time, so it wasn't close, and it goes to show that he is a level above McCarthy, certainly at this stage. But um, no, really, really, really happy with what I saw from Chris Billum Smith. I think um, he is getting better and better all the time. Some people criticize him, but for me, getting better all the time. And Connor Ben with a win, he's now 21-0. and He topped the bill, a TKO in the second round against Chris Van Heerden. That one was for the WBA Continental Welterweight title. Um, yeah, Van Heerden in, in great shape, as I said. 28-3 and three with a draw now. Um, but yeah, just just couldn't hang with Conor Ben, to be honest. I think he is at the tail end of his career, Van Heerden. I've forgotten how old he is now. He's had a rough journey in the recent years. I think his father was, was shot and murdered simply for being white in South Africa, which is horrendous, of course. Um, so he's had a very tough time. I know he was very close to his father, who looked pretty much the spitting image of him. And, um, you know, without him, everything's kind of been on the back burner as far as his boxing career is concerned, which is, you know, the right thing to do, of course, but he hasn't had it easy since then. He's he's not he's not a name on the tip of your tongue for anybody. Went over to the States, you know, agreed to fight Jaron Ennis. The fight ends up getting stopped on a no contest because of the cut in the first round. 
obviously I think he was getting beaten up in that in that round. He he comes out here to 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 Manchester, gets knocked out in two rounds. That really should be the end of the road for him. Unfortunately, I do feel for him though because of these circumstances outside of the ring. Moving out now to the Telford International Centre in Telford. This one was on uh, BT Sport. I didn't see it, but Jason Cunningham topped the bill. He's now 31 and six, a knockout in round six against Terry Lecourvier, who's now 16 and one. He loses his O. He was down in the second, the third, and the sixth round, all from body shots. It was for the IBF International and EBU. European Super Bantamweight titles on the undercard Nathan the Hitman Heaney now 15-0 he was down in the first round though from a left hand it was for the IBO International middleweight title got a very big crowd behind Heaney um, to be honest it, it, it wasn't a big shot he just simply went down and got straight back up it was almost like he fell uh, like to his knees not even his knees really it was a strange kind of knockdown. He wasn't hurt at all. It was one of those knockdowns where you go down, get straight back up, literally the same second, and you're not in any worry about him getting knocked out because they're hurt or anything. He was completely fine. He beat Diego Ramirez on a unanimous decision, very wide in the end. Ramirez now 24-7 and with a draw. Uh, moving out now to the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, USA. This one, of course, on, I think it was on Showtime. Um... Let's start with the undercard. Brandon Lee with a win. A unanimous decision win over 10 rounds against Zachary Ochoa, who's now 21-3. and three. I expected Brandon Lee to get Ochoa out of there, especially because I think he'd had about 22 KOs in his 24 wins. You know, he likes to get people out of there, likes to get people out of there early. And Zachary Ochoa, I don't think, has always shown a fantastic chin. So I expected Lee to pretty much walk through him. However, he got took 10 rounds. He won unanimously over 10. Um, elsewhere on the card, Jose Valenzuela with a win as well. Obviously, a guy on the come up, a lightweight. It was for the WBC Continental America's lightweight title. He was able to knock out Francisco Vargas in the very first round, which is quite shocking. Vargas now 27 and 4 with two draws. He really needs to hang it up. And Valenzuela now 12 and 0, certainly one to look out for. Isaac Cruz as well with a win. He's now 23 and 2 with a draw. He was able to TKO in five rounds. Uriokis. Gamboa, the Cuban, now 30-5 and five there for the uh, for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Lightweight title. Gamboa down in the second, third, and fourth round, and then TKO'd in the fifth. Um, that's another knockout loss for Gamboa. He's been knocked out in four of those five losses. Once again, the only person to not knock him out and beat him was Devin Haney, which is uh, something that raises a few question marks about Haney. But no, Isaac Cruz did what he had to do, really. It was a good fight on paper. And um, he, he is one to watch, to be honest, even though he lost to, to Javante Tank Davis. You know, no shame in that. Took him the distance, I think it was, or it went late. Can't remember now. But he's got a chin, he's tough, and he's a little bit relentless and he can punch as well so a bit of a nightmare for certain styles Cody Crowley with a win he's now 21-0 a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Josecito Lopez who's now 38-9 Lopez down in round 7 very wide in the end for Crowley um, Radzab Butayev who's now 14-1 lost a split decision over 12 against Imantis Stanionis who's now 14-0 it was for the WBA welterweight world title I believe Butayev was the champion so great there for Stanionis 
nice to win that. And also, if we remember, Stanionis had last been in the ring before this when he had that, I think it was a no decision or no contest with um, Louis Calazzo. So Louis Calazzo can kind of look at this and say, well, the guy's a world champion. And if that's how his career is going to end, which I think it will end for Calazzo, then it's not really something uh, to look back on with, with, with shame or anything like that. I mean, this guy's gone on to be a world champion and he didn't actually lose to him. It was a no decision. Um, so yeah, I didn't even see that fight, but the main event is something I did see. Errol Spence now 28-0, a TKO in round 10 against Yudenis Ugas now 27-5. It was for the WBC, WBA, IBF um, world welterweight titles. Um, yeah, you know, Spence... He was so relentless as he always can, or as he as he is most of the time, every outing really. But for me, so crude, Eddie. I mean, for me, I I was drawing comparisons with Sean Porter. I mean, he does have an excellent work rate. He is relentless, but I feel that someone could pick him off um, when he's trying to get on the inside. Um, I think someone who can kind of catch him coming in and and can move to avoid being caught on the ropes or trapped, you know, in the pocket. I just think I, I think the style to beat. Uh, Errol Spence is to just throw a punch just one punch and spin off and I know it's obviously easier said than done but for me Keith Furman in his prime was really good at something like that and I think he'd have been a bit of a nightmare for Spence I understand that can come across controversial and you're probably going to want to say something about that I will let you have uh, your time to speak in a sec but I don't know I don't I'm not sure he's the same fighter that he was a few years ago um you know Sorry, sorry, Keith Furman I'm talking about here to not confuse. I don't think he's the same fighter that he was a few years ago. But the guy that beat Danny Garcia, the guy that beat Sean Porter, that version of Furman, I think, is a real nightmare for Spence. And obviously, Crawford, as I've always backed him over Spence, I think he there's potential he could even stop Errol Spence. I know that we haven't seen him hurt or anything like that much, aside from the other night, and we'll get to that. Um... I just think Crawford would be too clever for Spence. I think he he would end up walking onto something. And unlike Ugas, I think Crawford will pick his shots to perfection and probably probably force a stoppage, not actually knock him spark out. But um, yeah, I wasn't overly impressed, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, Eddie. Obviously, there was a moment in the fight that I just referenced there. Errol Spence's gum shield fell out of his mouth, and he turned away to find it. And I don't know, like. That's never a good sign. That's never a good sign. You've always got to, of course, abide by the referee's instructions. The referee didn't say anything. And then, of course, when uh, when he sees that Spence has got the gum shield out and took a good punch, all of a sudden, Lawrence Cole, who gets criticised a hell of a lot, stops the fight and lets him wash it and walk around the ring. And it was like the moment was gone for Ugas. So he recovered right after that. That was really the only hiccup of the fight for Spence. He was in full control, really. Ugas did not get into a rhythm. Um, didn't have the power to make to make Spence uh, respect him, aside from that one moment there when he wasn't defending himself, and just didn't really throw enough. wasn't active enough for me. I was quite um, quite disappointed, really, with Ugas's tactics. He's usually got his tactics on point, but I wasn't really seeing what he was trying to do. I couldn't. It didn't make much sense to me. Um, I've always said, though, that Spence needs to fight someone like a Ugas. He was on my short list of names I'd like to see him in with, but it didn't mean that I thought he'd he'd be able to beat Spence. I think Spence... I, I always favoured Spence, but I just wasn't overly impressed. I don't think it was... It wasn't... Um, it wasn't very pretty. Do you know what I'm saying when I say he's a bit crude, Eddie, or am I being harsh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Um, I think your analysis is good. But it's all in what you like. 
it's the effectiveness for me that made me say he's a, he's, he's one that's going to be a, a really a really tough foul for Aaron Crawford. It wasn't so much that it looked pretty because, in my opinion, Spence has never really impressed me with his technicality, his ability to box. Is you know I mean he can box. I've seen him do it you know more with Mikey Garcia and and things like that. But I mean, to me, he's always been more impressive with his toughness and grit, determination, and willingness to put his hands on you for the entire fight. And that, in my opinion, is what's going to keep him, you know, to the level he is, whether, you know, whether he can beat, um, I was about to say Earl Spence, whether he can beat uh, uh, Bud or not, uh, to me, is, is all based on him being able to take the shot that Crawford lands. If he, like, say, for example, like, I, I like what you said about him saying that maybe he could be picked apart because I, I thought that that's a possibility, you know, with a guy with, you know, just clever with good speed and good counterpunching ability, which Crawford has, it would be a tough out. But it was like one, when I watched Crawford fight Sean Porter, now Sean Porter's a little more, like, wild and a little more old on the aggressive side as far as, like, coming in with his head. He just makes it really, really difficult for you to land the shot you want to land. And then he's always ready to punch and, 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 and maul you and things like that. Whereas with Earl Spence, he's doing it with punches. He's constantly putting punches to you. So I can see where you're saying that the possibility of maybe uh, Terrence Crawford catching him with a good shot or, 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 or you know, and possibly hurting him or getting him out. I actually kind of agree with that. But I just think that once Crawford gets in and Spence starts to, you know, starts the busyness and he starts putting his hands on him and things like that. I just think he has to be a lot tighter with it. But I think it is going to be a really, really difficult fight for Crawford. Very difficult fight. I understand he has high levels of, of skill and power and things like that. But Spence's determination and his his ability to to put put his hands on you for just so much, just punch after punch after punch. It's hard to get anything in. You can see you guys is a good counterpuncher. You guys is a good boxing guy. You know what I mean? He does the right things most of the time, but he just could not stem the tide. The only time that he could do it was when, you know, Spence was looking for his mouthpiece that time. But he just took, it was just so much. Eventually, even if Spence won plunge hard enough to really hurt him, eventually he will. A steady drop of water will bust the rocks as the old old timers would say. So if if he can if Crawford can keep him under 50 punches of, uh, around, I would say Crawford. But if Spence is in there throwing damn near 70 to 80 punches of, uh, around, Spence is going to I don't want to say you know, I don't want to say stop him, but he's definitely going to have him looking and looking outside the ring like for help. Seriously. And and it's just I see Spence and he just doesn't seem to tire. He just seems to keep getting tougher and tougher as the fight goes on. So it's uh, it's going to be a tough out for both guys. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to have to go with that. With, with, with Spence and Nick, he's just so busy. If he could take and deal with Crawford's offense at any capacity without getting hurt, I like Spence for sure. 
Yeah, no, I see where you're going. I think it is certainly going to be a really close fight, uh, you know, on paper and stuff like that. I think it's going to be a, a hard fight for both men, really. There's no way I'm saying that um, Crawford's going to completely handle him with ease. I think the size and the strength obviously goes to Spence. I think the pressure that he puts on, I mean, he is relentless. That's what I'm saying. You li literally cannot afford to sit back and invite him in and, and, and let him trap you on the ropes. I mean, you don't even really want to stand in the pocket with him. It's like I think someone tweeted saying, inside game, Spence. Outside game, Crawford. Mid-range, it's a tie. It's going to be so exciting. Um, I just I just got this feeling that, that um, he could walk onto something, though, Spence. And I don't know if he would be hurt. By Bud, who's looked a much much bigger puncher all of a sudden at welterweight, but I just I can see him like walking onto an uppercut or something like that, and it changing the fight. Not perhaps being knocked out with one shot, but just I don't know something's going to happen where that might be the turning point where he starts to take a step backwards for a very rare yeah. time in his career, and it could be a, a turning point. But we'll see, man. We'll see. It's going to be a great fight. They need to make I it agree. now, though. They need to make this fight now. You know, we don't want to over marinate it. Um, was you going to say something, Eddie? Or I was going to wrap up part no, one. No, yeah, I was agreeing. I was agreeing. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily, you know, me saying that I'm, I would pick Spence doesn't necessarily mean I disagree with your estimation of it. I think in this kind of a situation with these kind of fighters, these two top guys, it can go either way. You know what I mean? If And like you said, if he catches him with that shot proper and, and, and puts him on wobbly legs, you know what I mean? That's, you know, that, that – there's no 20-point leads in boxing like there is in basketball and, and in other sports they have leads. You can get caught with a shot. And that all, all 10 rounds that Spence might have won before that would then go into the trash because <laughs> he then gets caught and gets hurt and gets put on his back a few times. Fight's over. Fight, I mean, I mean, fight possibly could be over. So, yeah, I think a lot of these, you know, there's a, there's a chance for both guys, a big chance. This is legitimately the, the quintessential definition of a 50-50 fight, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think you're probably about right. But anyway, that wraps up part one. The final thing for me to do is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast, which I'm going to do right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former light heavyweight world title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. Craig Spider-Richards. Craig, welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, man. So, Craig, we last spoke back in November. It was just after that win over Marek Mattia. Um, after that, obviously, we had Christmas. Things went a little bit quiet. Then here we are with this big fight announcement, May 21st at the O2 Arena. You against Buatzi live on the zone. Um, tell me how this came about, Craig, because when we last spoke, I remember you named four guys that you wanted to fight next. You had like a little kind of short list of guys, and you named them for me. You you named... Um, it was Joe Smith, it was a Bivol rematch, it was Krasniki, and it was uh, Bowderleek. So instead of all of mm -hmm. those, obviously you've ended up having this domestic mouth-watering fight that I think most of the fans probably wanted to see more than those anyway. But what made you take the fight? Because it, it wasn't a name that was on the tip of your tongue, really. Uh, it was an opportunity to come after it. I felt, okay, cool. It is an opportunity after this, because obviously it was all about moving in the right direction. The whole aim is always to chase back for the world title. So that was the first thing where, um, I kind of felt like cool. And the secondly, I just felt like, I don't know, when they when I had done the interviews saying I'm not interested in domestic clashes and I want to push onto the world scene, I then get an offer from their team. 
So I don't know if there was half calling my bluff. And I thought, you know what, let's go for it. Okay. Um, and yeah, and I thought we'll we'll go. So yeah, we're we're here now. And for whatever reason, you always seem to end up in these local rivalry type of fights. Obviously, you and Andre Sterling. That was in my, I like to uh, that in in my opinion that fight should have been called or the event should have been called the the Blue Borough Battle. This one, <laughs> hey, I know you like that. This one with Buatzi, the Clash of Croydon. Um, <laughs> even though you didn't name him on that four-man list to me, Craig, do you still have the the fire in your belly? I guess to train as hard as you'd have trained for, trained for those other guys for this fight. I already know. I already know the answer, but just tell us for the listeners. Hundred million percent. You know, I love a big domestic duff up for one. Um, two, I know he's like a big household name, especially in Britain. And there was a lot of arguments. Like I felt like I kind of proved by my resume, like I was the guy who's proven myself a light heavyweight in all the domestic clashes. Um, but yet, still, people are still saying, "I wonder who's better out of them two. And it was kind of like, Do you know what? We could just put this to bed by us fighting as well. And you filmed this face-off program for the zone. We saw a little uh, preview of it on Twitter the other day. I'm guessing it's going to be a little bit like the gloves are off that they used to do on Sky Sports. What was that like, Craig? Obviously, as I say, we've seen a little preview. I'm very excited to see the full version come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. It was good. You know, I've watched many of them like throughout my time as a boxing fan. Gloves are off. So it was a good experience to be asked to go and do one to be honest it was it was good it's something on my bucket list I always wanted to kind of do not like I had anything I wanted to ever say or anything on one but I just always thought it'll be a good experience to do one I got to do one that was good it's just another thing it's all part and parcel of the sport now um moving through like as I'm moving up the rankings and moving forward in my career it's just what comes of it and I'm just embracing it enjoying all, every part of it yeah because I remember you did that kind of zoom call it was almost like a face like a face-off or gloves are off or whatever, the Zoom call with Shikam Pitters. And of course, um, you know, your your personality came through there. And it almost made me think, why haven't they had this guy in front of the cameras earlier on? Because I think fight fans like your attitude and the way you are. And um, I am really looking forward to this, like I say. Um, one thing Buatzi said during the face-off was, you know who I am. What do you think <laughs> he meant by that? Is it referencing to a sparring session years ago or something else? Nah, I don't have a clue what he even meant by that, to be honest. I was as curious as you were when he meant that. I think he just started to believe in his own hype, to be honest. Maybe he just believes everyone should know who he is at this point. But I just know Joshua Boatsy, he's a boxer, that's what I knew. But I guess he's obviously, I don't know, he might feel he's painting a different image, um, that he's this killer, or I don't know. I don't know who, I don't know, I should ask him what that even meant. <laughs> And obviously, me and you have had so many conversations on interviews, off interviews. We've spent loads of time on the phone discussing the light heavyweight scene in Britain. Um, Are you and Buatzi the two best light heavyweights in Britain? What I'm kind of getting at is I know you feel you're the best light heavy. Is he the second best, though, in your opinion? Uh, It's hard for me to say. There's loads of good light heavyweights, but I could see that a lot of people are tipping towards either myself or him at the moment. Um, based on my achievements and based on his potential of when he's coming to the game, being the Olympia and them saying he's the next big thing, etc., etc. So it's like a crossroad. Is he what they're saying he is, or am I as good as am I the am I the best in Britain? Like it kind of just clears everything up. I find. 
And in your recent fights, I think it's, it's clear to see that you are a much better boxer technically than I think people gave you credit for in the past. We've seen so much improvement all round, really, from you. Um, and I, I just wanted to ask, do you feel that there's anything that you specifically need to do in this fight to win? Or do you just feel that you've got to show up and do you kind of thing? No, I feel like every opponent's different. I've got to bring something to the table every time I step in through them ropes. I know there's certain things I've got to do with each person, sometimes slightly different or better or whatever. And there's certain things that I'll be bringing to the table maybe he won't expect. And it's the same with everyone. And I think that's why they underestimate me. I'm very adaptable. And as I said, even in the um, press conference, I've got a very good IQ. Um, and that's being able to adapt to my opponent and know what I need to bring to the table each each time. And what is your prediction, Craig? If you want to share it with us, you of course don't have to. But does this fight go 12? What do you think? Craig Richards win. I could stop him. It could go to points. Um, but, yeah, if there's an opportunity, I'll take it. Okay. And just finally, my two last questions. I just want to get your take on a couple of fights that are coming up. I've got to ask you this, of course. May 7th in Vegas, Bivol Canelo. You've been in with Bivol. Some people give him a massive chance here. Um, how do you see it going? Very sharp shooter, very sharp shooter, very fast, good hands. Um, and if you haven't got good feet, he'll dance rings around you all day long. If uh, Remembering how he was performance before he boxed me, he didn't really even really lose a round. I think everyone, because I've had a close fight with him now, with a round difference, I feel that people are underestimating him. At the same time, I think where I closed him down and it showed when I went to the body on the inside, he didn't deal with it very well. We all know that Canelo is a very good body puncher. So it just depends on if he can keep, he can outbox Canelo with his size, his speed, or will Canelo just grind him down and get to him and not respect his power? So that's how I see it, to be honest. It and all depends on how Canelo takes his power. Yeah, and, and another fight I want to come to you for, um, Joe Smith Jr., Baturbiev. I know you're going to have one eye on this one. June 18th in New York. I'm guessing probably if you beat Boatsy, you'll probably be ringside if, if you had it your own way. But um, how do you um, see I that fight going? Out huh? there. <laughs> Um, very good fight, you know, Batero is a beast, you can never write him off, he's getting every single person out there, he's put in front of him, um, in the same breath, Joe Smith Jr., he is world champion and world champion for a reason, we know he can punch, so I will never write him off, um, it's a very good fight, someone's going to go, of course, they're both big punchers, both big punchers, and remember, although Batero is, is a massive puncher, and he's a little bit of a beast, we've seen him hit the canvas against Callum Johnson, and there's arguable there's an argument that Joe Smith could punch harder than um, Callum Johnson. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write anyone off in that fight. And just finally, before we wrap it up, Craig, if you've got any closing words just before we let you go, obviously we won't speak again before the fight. So what's your closing message if you have one, Craig? Tune in. Turn up May 21st if you can O2 Arena. I thank everyone for the support. I appreciate everyone. Appreciate all the media. I appreciate the fans. Um, everyone's been behind me. Family, sponsors from Lewis Access, Art, Everlast, Mill Team, um, Sean Printtown. The list goes on and on. Um, yeah, I really just thank everyone who's been behind me and supporting me. Absolutely. Cannot wait for the fight. And I'm sure everyone listening is in agreement with me on that one. Listen, Craig, it's been a real pleasure, pleasure as always speaking with you. Best of luck, May 21st. We'll speak sometime after, my man. Yeah, thank you.
Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, usually the news part of the show. Nothing to go over on that front at the moment. If anything develops from now to the end of the show, I will speak about it on the outro. But let's move straight to the preview part of the show then. We're going to start here tomorrow night, Friday, April 22nd at the York Hall Bethnal Green, London over here. Um, a really good fight, I think, that tops the bill. It's Dean Dodge who is 9-1 with a draw for the vacant Southern Area Super Featherweight title against Reese Bellotti, 14-5. But also on that card, friend of the show, Casey Kadami, 8-1 with a draw. Obviously, um, had the two fights with Ilyaz Ahmed. I want to see the third one, to be completely honest. But he gets in here with Darwin Martinez, who's 7-3 with a draw. Also on that undercard as well, Harley Ben returns to the ring for the first time since his last fight, I think maybe about over two years ago, I think it was. He's 8-1, and one, um, obviously the son of, of, of Nigel Ben. He's in a four-rounder against Seamus Devlin, who's 1-23. and 23. Um, Lee Hallett as well is on the undercard. That's the guy who's got a record at this moment of one win, 39 losses and one draw. And that one win was against Harley Ben. So hopefully Harley Ben doesn't see him and it causes him to have flashbacks. We need a win for Harley Ben. Um... Moving out now to the Echo Arena in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. This one is also tomorrow night. Um, let's talk about the undercard. Pro debut for Luke McCormack. Uh, Peter McGraw, 3-0 in a six-rounder against Uriel Juarez, who's 15-17 and 17 with a draw. That's over six rounds there. Uh, friend of the show, Jazza Dickens, 30-4 in a 10-rounder against Spain's Andoni Gargo, 25-4 and four with four draws. That could be a Brilliant fight, by the way. Really, really looking forward to this card. We've got Sammy Maxwell as well, 16-0 in a 12-rounder against Alejandro Menenez, who is 15-5. That one's for the vacant IBO World Super Lightweight title. And topping the bill, it was supposed to be for, I think it was the full WBO Bantamweight World title. It was supposed to be a friend of the show, Paul Butler, 33-2, and taking on John Real Casimero. However... I think there were some visa issues or something went wrong and that fight has been cancelled. So in steps late replacement Jonas Sultan, who has a record of 18-5. and um, I, to be honest, thought that Paul Butler would, would probably get knocked out really by Casemiro, even though he may not be the same fighter he was. But um, yeah, in steps this guy, like I say... Jonas Sultan, uh, can't say that the name sticks out to me off the top of my head. I'm just going to have a little look at his record. Um, never been stopped. Um, been in there. Last fight was against Carlos Caraballo. Was able to beat him back in October. Um, been in there with Ardin Diali, Jerwin Ancahas, lost to him for the IBF Super Flyweight World title. Been in there with John Real Casemiro, actually, lost uh, on points over 12 back in 2017. No belt on the line. Um, yeah, so, yeah, okay, so he was a Super Flyweight contender. Um, okay, yeah, so maybe will be a good fight. We'll have to see, but obviously... Uh, all the best to Paul Butler. I hope that he can become world champion again. Um, moving out now to the Hydrotech uh, Arena in Bayern, Germany. The only reason I'm going over here is for the uh, the cult hero of the show, Mr. Daniel Dietz. He's 2-0 with two first-round KOs. 
Will he put more weight on? We're not sure yet. I can't wait to see the weigh-in. The guy, obviously, Daniel Diet, seems to put on weight every single time he fights. 2-0, two first-round KOs. He's having um, his third pro fight here. He's only been a pro about three weeks. He's he's um, he's in a six-rounder against Zoltan Enyedi, who's 0-7. All the best to Mr. Diets. Moving out now to another part of Germany. This one takes place in Hamburg at the Universum Gym. We've got Jeremias Nicholas Ponce, 29-0. I think he's got to be ranked number one or number two in the world with one of the organizations. I remember him beating Lewis Ritson. Um, he's in an eight-rounder against Bazugar Jugda, who's 3-3 three three with a draw. It's an eight-rounder there. Do you know what? That's actually, in my opinion, quite dangerous matchmaking. I'm very surprised that's been sanctioned. Uh, moving out now to the final card. It, of course, takes place at the Wembley Stadium. It's going to be live on BT Sport Pay-Per-View. I think it's £25. I'm sure it's going to be um, on in the States somewhere. Let's start with the undercard. Tommy Fury, 7-0 in a six-rounder against Daniel Bosianski, who's 10-1. Uh, heavyweight David Adelaide, 8-0 in an eight-rounder against Chris Healy, who's 9-8. Needs a big performance, really, Adelaide, after um, arguably losing, to be honest, to Camille Sokolowski. So we need to see him back to, you know, back to winning ways. I mean, he's he's undefeated, so not winning ways, but needs to get back impressing, knocking people out. Um, elsewhere on the card, brilliant fight here. Love this fight between Echo Esseman, 16-0 in a 12-rounder against Darren Tetley, who's 21-2 there for the British and Commonwealth welterweight titles. Isaac Lowe, 21-1 with three draws, the cousin of Tyson Fury in a 12-rounder against the undefeated Nick Ball, 14-0. That one's for the vacant WBC silver featherweight title. Um, Isaac Lowe, friend of the show. Very pleased for him to get this opportunity. Last time out, I think it was when he lost his O, which was very unfortunate. I've, I've spoke about this guy for a long, long time. Had a job as well as being a professional boxer. Really struggled. Wasn't picked up by a big promoter. Certainly had things hard. And he did get an opportunity in which he kind of needed to win and he lost. And this is a great opportunity for him against Nick Ball. It's kind of a must-win fight, really. And it's, it's, it's for a belt. It's for a WBC silver title. So this would be massive. If he were to win this, he's right back in to a big fight next. And I want to see win. Um, the main event, Tyson Fury, 31-0 with a draw, friend of Eddie's, and this one's over 12 rounds for the WBC heavyweight world title against friend of the show, Dillian White, 28-2. and um, To be honest, I think both of them are your friends, Eddie, but um, yeah, I'm going to come to you first, actually. Um, I know that they've obviously sparred in the past. Were you present for those sparring sessions? I was present for maybe one or two before Dillian, I think, had to go, had to leave. And uh, it was interesting, to say the least. <laughs> um, you know, I heard that I heard some things before uh, I got there, you know, with the sparring, some about Tyson supposedly getting caught and hurt or something. I, I can't really remember, but from what I've seen, and, you know, I shouldn't putting a lot of his stuff out in the atmosphere, but it just didn't look like much of a contest, in my opinion. Um, this is the first time me seeing him. You know, I see, you know, Dillian at that time was obviously a different fighter than he is now. Um, but it's just, you know, the way I look at it is he's gotten much more experience and, you know, a lot better, but he still makes some mistakes. And Tyson has also improved. And, you know, he's, he, he's and honestly, Tyson still makes some mistakes and I think the mistakes that Tyson makes 
or or basically puts himself in sometimes a position to be hit and caught. Um, you know, just the, you know, the. I don't know. I don't think it's the need to be excited. I just think he has he has a big heart, and he wants to exchange. Sometimes he wants to he wants to get the big knockout. He wants to do these things, and he he's he's exciting to watch. If he does, you can see with those uh, with those three uh, Deontay Wilder fights, but. You know, I think with a with a guy like a situation like this with um with Dillian, Dillian, we all know he's powerful. He can he can knock you out with one shot. You know, he's 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 strong. Um, but in my opinion, there's no disrespect to him. Like I said, he's improved and everything. But I just I think his his chance is similar to Wilder's. You know, to land a big shot. I don't think he's going to be able to walk out of there with the decision. You know, not that. You know, it's not that saying that Tyson will be getting a favorable one. I just don't think he's going to win many rounds against Tyson. I just think the way, you know, the size difference along with the ability to box that Tyson has over Dillian is just going to make it extremely difficult for him to close the distance enough. You know, and even even fight at a range fight, which I think is going to end up being. It's up to Tyson, I think, in this situation to not put himself in position to get caught with anything crazy by being too brave unnecessarily to similar, the same kind of thing happened with Deontay Wilder. So I just, I just hope, you know, that he doesn't do anything like that and that the fight stays where it's supposed to stay in it, you know, for him. And that's at range. And if they get close, and I know people going to hate me for saying this thing, but if they get close, tie up, go back to the center and take control from there. I mean, this is, it's just a smart move. Don't get me wrong. Tyson has the ability to fight inside, even though he's a giant. He still can fight inside. Inside, he can be aggressive. He can lay on you. He can do a lot of those things as you've seen with Wilder. But why take a chance on like that when you can, at range, be able to keep this guy off of you and possibly get a stoppage late? I just see with with Wilder is a little different. He's he's also tall and rangy with big power on the end of his shots. So, you know, maybe it was a better idea to go and be inside close and maul him and, and use your size and strength, of, you know, against it. But with this situation, is kind of like it's not necessary. That's giving him the opportunity. He's not going to be able to beat you at range. There's just no way, in my opinion. The footwork is too good. Arms are long. You know, can get, you, can, you can obviously get around the ring, land shots on, put him on the end of your shots faints everything it just doesn't make sense so in my estimation you know it should be something pretty comfortable a comfortable win for him no no disrespect to Dillian I think Dillian is like I said he's gotten a lot better and he's gonna come out there and he's gonna do everything he can to win this fight no doubt about it he's not gonna leave any stone unturned he's gonna try everything but I just think he's gonna come up short and you know another thing that springs to mind is that I feel like um, Dillian White has always struggled with taller fighters. I mean, you look back and you know you think about the success in the second fight with Alexander Povetkin. That's his most recent fight, by the way, just over a year ago. Um, he obviously got knocked out by him before that. Prior to that, going the distance with Marius Wack, you know, in 2019. I know Wack to a certain degree is very durable. Um, you know. Getting in there with with um, Robert Hellenius, going twelve rounds with him back in twenty seventeen, you know, again, Hellenius is durable, but he was knocked out by Gerald Washington. He was knocked out um, by Johan Duapas, but went twelve rounds with 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 Dillian White. 
and and obviously Tyson Fury's taller than all of those guys mentioned. Um, you know, in actual fact, the only kind of tall guy that Dillian White knocked out, who's considered tall, would be Lucas Brown, who I think is about 6'5". He knocked him out. I mean, you know, he took his O, and, you know, it was a good win at the time. Lucas Brown since then has kind of... I mean, he's old, you know. He's, he's proven he's not really... I mean, he wasn't really a, a fabulous fighter at any point, even when he picked up a world title. It was it was unbelievable that he did that. But um, I think the size, obviously, is going to be a bit of an issue when you think about those things. Yeah, not being able to pin a man down who isn't as mobile as Tyson Fury, isn't as tall as Tyson Fury, and also, and also doesn't have the tools that Tyson Fury has uh, just in terms of his own punch selection, his power. You know, is, is, uh, is Dillian White going to get past that jab? I think this could be a lot like, uh, you know, a lot like kind of what we saw in the Tyson Fury and Derek Chisora rematch. This could be the same kind of thing where he just can't get past the jab and doesn't know what to do. I mean, as you said, you, you highlighted the, the footwork aspect of it, Eddie. I mean, that's something Tyson Fury is so, so superior to in this fight here when, when you compare both of them at the table. I mean... I, I, now I think about it even more. I can't really see a way. Don't get me wrong. I think Dillian White has got a, uh, you know, a fab, fabulous punching power, and his left hook is one of the best in the division. But this isn't a Deontay Wilder who can knock you out with one shot. I don't think, and this isn't a six foot seven uh, frame that Wilder had or has. Um, I, I can't see a way for Dillian White. I really can't. Um, but I don't think that it's in Tyson Fury's best interest to stand close. I think you highlighted that as well. Not in his best interest to stay close. Not in his best interest to, to fight in the pocket. Keep it rangy. Keep it at range. Uh, you know, be on the bike. Use that, use that superior footwork you have. Use that excellent jab you have. Switch between both stances. This is, this is, these are all things that can potentially bamboozle. Dillian White, he hasn't seen a, a, a tall guy like this, you know, with this much speed, and 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 pretty much no one has, to be honest with you. He's, you know, he he um he defies science, really, Tyson Fury. But um, yeah, I can't see a way for him at all, to be honest. I'm not sure he gets Dillian White out of there. Um, yeah, do you know what I'm gonna say? He does. I'm gonna say he probably stops him around about. Maybe round nine to twelve. I think it's a late stoppage. I think he's just going to wear him down, bust him up, and I can see him stopping him late. But I do think Dillian White is incredibly tough. Um, I just I think the gas tank can be an issue. And Tyson Fury again took his t-shirt off earlier this week. We haven't seen him at the weigh-in. That's that's tomorrow. But he took his top off earlier this week, and he does have those infamous love handles that just do not shift. It doesn't matter what he does in training; they're just there, and um, they they soak up body shots really well as well. <laughs> but um, you know, I can't see a way for for for, for Dillian White if I'm being completely honest. Um, I haven't. I've purposely not thought about the fight until fight week because I wanted to you know, think about it the most on the podcast and now I'm just sitting here thinking about all these things that Tyson Fury has over Dillian White. I can't see I can't see it. Even Dillian White has been criticized in the past for his for his right hand. He doesn't have much of a straight right hand. 
that's something that that's Deontay Wilder's uh, best weapon. You know that that one two that he can detonate. Boom boom. He's fast. He's got the power. This isn't something that that Dillian White has. It's a brilliant fight. There's going to be thousands and thousands of people there. I'm not quite sure they're going to sell all 96,000 seats. I think they've already sold them to be honest. But I don't think we're going to see 96,000 people. I think there's going to be a lot of empty seats. I personally know a few people that bought. Um, that, that bought a shed load of tickets thinking they were going to be able to resell them for much more money and um, and, and that's not going to be the case here I don't think that's that's how it's going to go but um, I think there's going to be a lot of empty seats but it, it's still a massive fight it's still a massive all British fight and you know it's it, 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 it's, it's worthy of what it is I think I'm actually going to put my hand in, in my pocket and pay for the pay-per-view I feel like it's worth it um, but yeah mega fight but I cannot see a way for for Dillian White, to be honest, unless he, of course, catches him with a big shot, particularly that left hook, but I just can't see it happening, I really can't see it happening, especially if Tyson Fury were to box as a southpaw, keep that shoulder up in front of his chin, I, I just don't see it, and I don't think he's going to be able to hit Fury high up on the head, near the temple, it's going to take the, the power away from the shot, um, I don't know, Eddie, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sold, that's, that's the way I see it, what do you think of yeah. my, uh, my, um, my unexpert analysis. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's close enough. It's close enough to an expert, man. But yeah, no, it's. I think it's dead on. I mean, just you looking at it from from that aspect. I mean, you got to see. It's like it's really difficult to find a way for Dillian to, like, for you to see it even on paper for him to win. Now, fight. We don't. They don't fight on paper. So that you know, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? <laughs> You got to get in the ring to 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 see, and that's the great thing about this that we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But you and I both have a good, <laughs> have a really good idea, educated guess, so to speak, um, to on what we think may transpire on that night. However, you know, we still can't guarantee that that will happen. Like, you know, Dillian may come in there and outbox him, which is like, wow. I mean, I, even me saying it doesn't even sound right coming out of my mouth. But the, the reality of it is anything can happen. And I think the most likely scenario for Tyson to come off on the short end of it would be if he went and got a little too reckless after he said, say, got Dillian hurt and then got caught with a shot or something like that. That's the only way I could see that happening. Other than that, He's going to be taking a lot of leather from the outside and, you know, at least for as long as he can take it, I would say anywhere from middle to late round stoppage, you know what I mean? Depending on, you know, like Dillian's extremely tough. He's, he's going to keep coming. He's going to keep fighting. He's been through a lot in his life, you know, being in a fight ain't really that much to him at this point, but, and there's, and then there's a whole lot of opportunity here. So um, he's going to come, he's going to come hard. Pause. <laughs> But he's going to be there, and he's going to be there all night. Well, he's going to try to be there all night. I just don't think he's going to be able to make it, to be honest. So I guess I got to I got to agree with your uh, your outlook, uh, Joey. Hundred percent. It's a good it's a good call. As far as my my quote unquote expert opinion is mirror to yours, so we're good. Yeah, and just another thing that I'm I'm looking at for Tyson Fury as well. Um, 
this is something that that has really stuck out to me here as I'm as I'm analysing his record. Obviously, the first person to take him the distance all those years ago was was John McDermott um, in a fight. Some people felt that he uh, didn't win, but he come back and knocked McDermott out in the rematch. But McDermott took him the distance. The next man to take him the distance was Thomas Mazarek, who you shared the ring with Eddie, and and yeah. you stopped, whereas Tyson Fury didn't. And obviously, Mazarek was. <laughs> <laughs> Mazarek was a southpaw, right? And we're going to come back to that as well. Um, Tyson Fury got took the distance the next time by a guy called Rich Pat, uh, Rich Pat, <clears throat> sorry, Rich Power, who was um, a southpaw from Michigan. So I'm seeing two southpaws taking the distance there. Then he gets in with um, he gets in with a guy called uh, Zach Page from Warren, Ohio. He took in the distance. He wasn't a southpaw. That's one of the few. Derek Chisora did, but he was teak tough. In that was in their first fight. Come back and stopped him. Other than that, he goes the distance with Vladimir Klitschko. I mean, you know, can't really fault him for that. Then he goes the distance with Pianetta, another southpaw. Then he goes the distance with Otto Wallin, another southpaw. It seems like he struggles to pin down these southpaws. This is just a completely irrelevant point here, but it seems like when he's the few times he's boxed a southpaw, he's 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 rarely managed to get him out of there. To be honest with you, so uh, and the other person that I think took in the distance was um, Kingpin Kevin Johnson. But I mean, at one point you couldn't knock him out. You couldn't put him on the floor if you had a gun. You know, he was he was so tough. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a bit of an irrelevant point to be honest, but. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there. I, I don't know. Maybe um, some of these southpaws would 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 perhaps cause him a problem. I'm just kind of thinking of the southpaws that may be able to do that. Maybe like a Luis Ortiz. I don't know. That's another another story for another day. Especially as Ortiz looks like he could be finished. But um, yeah, back to the fight. I mean, yeah, Tyson Fury all the way for me. Um, Eddie, are you prepared to to stick your neck on the line and and um, you know, go with a prediction whether it's going to be a late stoppage, an early stoppage, a mid-round stoppage, a points win. How do you see it? Honestly, uh, I'm going to say it's going to definitely be mid to late round stoppage. I just, I mean, it, obviously, definitely, like I know it's going to happen. I'm going to say mid to rate, the late round stoppage for for Tyson, obviously. And I know it seems like every single time he's fighting, I'm picking him. Well, that's because truthfully, honestly, I don't think there's a fighter on earth you know, that, that is a uh, heavyweight that is really going to be able to beat him. Even, even when we talk about Usyk, I just don't see it being, you know, because of the size and, and all of the other factors as good as Usyk is. And, you know, it, things he shows, it's hard. It's hard to pick him over Tyson in this. It's just really hard. He's like I said, he's six, nine and have all, has all those attributes. So, and this obviously is no different. This he seems like this is a tailor made fight for him to look good, and I think for him, you know, I'm just gonna look at him and say, Don't mess it up, you know, do the things that you're supposed to do, take care of business, and get out of here unscathed. You know what I mean? You'll look good in that way, too. You know what I mean? No, I'm not saying clitch go it, I'm not saying do that, <laughs> but I am saying put yourself in the right position just the same as he did, like with, with the fight that you mentioned, Joe Derek Chisora. That's, that was a perfect situation. That that was how he was supposed to do it, and he took care of business. And I think that's the same thing he needs to do here, um, and 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 not leave it up to chance. You know what I mean? Play the play defense at the right at the right time. Do the things he needs to do at the right time, and uh, when the opportunity presents itself, take it. 
yeah, for sure. And thank, uh, thanks to you for bringing up Usyk as well. I was sitting there scratching my head thinking, who is a good Southpaw heavyweight? And I'm sitting there saying all tees. I mean, that goes to show what I know about boxing. I didn't think of the guy that holds three of the four titles at heavyweight. So. You- <laughs> you just forgot. You just forgot, Joe. That's all it is, man. I don't think you. I don't think you was thinking about it at the time. That's all. I must have forgot. Yep. There we go. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there we go. That brings this to a close. Um, I think that is everything. Um, let me just think. I feel like I was gonna say something. Nah, I think that's everything there. So yeah, definitely gonna be a great fight. Cannot wait for Saturday. Cannot wait for Saturday, and then. Uh, Sunday is hopefully going to be a good day Monday is going to be my birthday so hopefully it's a good few days but anyway that is it for the preview part of the show the final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro which I'll do in just a few seconds Okay, and this wraps up episode 340 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A big thank you to our special guest this week, the former light heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Craig Richards. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Remember, if you do get a spare couple minutes, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does mean a lot. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.